thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you as part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. Y'all may be seated. God bless you. Look to the person next to you and say, I am so glad that you are sitting next to me. But then look them real close in the face, but not too close to say, but don't you touch me. How many of you do not want to get sick? <laughs> Man, I tell you something big going around, and uh, we just want to pray and just ask God to just cover us so that we not uh, continue to spread this terrible flu virus that's going on. But I do want you to spread something today. I want to challenge you today to this week to spread the love of Jesus by every single person you come in contact with. So on the count of three, I'm going to show you how to do that. I want you to smile. Some of you have not smiled since last Sunday. So on the count of three, I want you to smile really big and look to your neighbor, maybe on the other side that you didn't, you know, greet a moment ago and say, and just smile really big. On the count of three, I want you to smile. One, two, amen, praise the Lord. One, two, three, smile. Hold it for a few minutes. Some of y'all's face crack. <laughs> How many of you glad you saved? How many of you glad you're a child of the most high God? Amen. Come on now. Amen. How many of you glad you live in the United States of America? Despite all the stuff that's going on, how many of you glad that you're an American citizen? Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. I believe there's more said about prayer in churches today than probably any other singular topic out there. Yet I submit to you that there is probably less known about prayer than any other topic. I believe it can be the catalyst in which doors begin to fly open in our life and oftentimes doors shut. In fact, I submit to you that God answers all of your prayers. That's a big, uh, bold statement, is it not? That God answers every single one of your prayers, and he answers them in three ways. Number one, he may say yes. That's what we hope he says. That we see in in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, where Jabez prayed that, God, would you would bless me indeed. And that as you bless me, that you would enlarge my coast, and that you would keep me from evil, that you would guide my hand, that I may not be an offense. And God granted him that which he requested. How many of you like the yes prayers answered? Amen? A few of you? I think sometimes he also says, wait. I don't even have to ask you to raise your hand. Most of us do not like to wait. But in John's Gospel, chapter 11, we see that, that there was an, a prayer that went out for Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus, his friend in Bethany, who was sick. And the Bible says something quite profound, that he tarried yet three more days. And you add that to the day's journey, he was four days late, the Bible says. But yet he was on time because how many of you know that if he would have come and simply healed him of his sickness, that would not have been near as great as him coming to heal him from death. How many of you know that that's a better deal, that you're pulled out of death? So sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says wait. And the wait is maybe preparing you for something even bigger than what you're praying for right now. And then I think the third one is the one that we like the least, and that's when he says no. He's still answering our prayers, but we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and following, that the Apostle Paul, a man associated with great pain and hurt, a man certainly who could have literally gone into the throne in the presence of God and petitioned God, and he would have given him the things that he asked of him, and simply maybe just asking him to deliver him from this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was. The Bible does not tell us exactly what that was. Some theologians believe that it was his eyesight was fading, as we see in some of his other letters, where he could not even put pen to paper and write the letters himself. He had to have a scribe to write it for him. But he prayed three times, the Bible said, that God would deliver him from this thorn in his flesh. And 
Bible says unapologetically that Jesus said no. I love you, Paul. You're my man. You're my vessel. And maybe even in that prayer, he was praying unselfishly that God would deliver him from the thing that was preventing him from doing what God had called him to do, which was write the word of God. Why would God say no to that? Because the greater message in that story was that he said, it's in your weakness, it's in that thorn in your flesh, Paul, that my strength has become manifest. It's come real to you. It's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. It's when you're weak, he went on to say, that then you're strong. I don't know where you are today in the category of those three prayers. I know we want God to just respond. I know we want him to not say wait, and if we do have to wait, we don't want to have to wait a year or two years. Some of you in this room have been praying crying out to God and believing him for something that you have not seen him move in years. Can I tell you something? Keep praying. And know today, boy, oh boy, this is personal to my heart. When God says no, God wants you to know that he's strong enough for the both of you. That he has a plan in your weakness. That his strength would be seen through you by others around. Maybe through that, be drawn to the person of Christ. You know, today I can to you and I could guilt you into praying. That could be in my message. I won't do that this week. I'll do that next week. I could explain to you how to pray. But I want to really kind of envelop yourself today in what prayer really is. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul that we were talking about a moment ago, writing to the church at Philippi. One of his most affectionate letters. And he began to unfold kind of this idea of prayer in a different way that had been heard before. And, and today, maybe you're sitting out there like I was several years ago and just wondering sometimes, you know, I don't really know how to pray. I don't, I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever felt like your prayers didn't go any further than the ceiling in the room in which you sat? How many of you ever felt that way before? You prayed and just felt like nothing was happening, it wasn't connecting with God? Can I tell you something? Don't beat yourself up too much over that because even the disciples who walked with Jesus in the physical life in his earthly ministry, after they had walked with him and seen him perform miracle after miracle after miracle and all of the things that you saw unfold in the Gospels that they saw personally, then they gathered with him in one day and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Isn't that interesting? And in that, Jesus didn't say, seriously, guys? Seriously, you don't know how to pray still? But he gave them the model prayer. We refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, or maybe the Disciples' Prayer. In which case, we see God being petitioned and being spoken about in His holiness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the, the, the model prayer, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but just even they, God had patience with them and explaining to them what prayer is and how to pray. Listen to what it says in Philippians. 4 verses 6 through 7 is our text today. I'm going to be talking about prayer over the next few weeks, but today is going to be a very special day, and you'll see why in just a moment. Listen to what he says, and boy, how fitting is this in our culture. Be anxious for nothing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us are just rhetorically, you don't have to raise your hand, just anxious. You're expecting great things, but boy, oh boy, are you anxious. The fear of what could happen, what may not happen, what if it doesn't work, what if it... Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, let that peace guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
I mean, it's just for nothing, but for everything, big and small, good, bad, and indifferent, everything. It's a sickness, bring it before God. It's a job, bring it before God. It's a relationship, bring it before God. It's a classroom teacher, bring it before God. It's a test student, bring it before God. Anything, through all things, through prayer, watch this, and supplication. Here, here's a good one. That is literally, if you look that up, that means to ask God, maybe even in the form of begging. Begging God through humility with expectation. Supplication goes beyond prayer. Truly, on your face, begging God for God to move in an area of your life. And of course, with Thanksgiving, how can we be thankful? Let me tell you something. If God did another, didn't, if God did another, didn't do another thing in your life for the rest of your life, you have everything to be thankful for for what He's already done in your life. I want to talk to you briefly this morning, and then we're going to go straight into communion. Is a life of prayer. If you're a note taker, we're going to give you three simple points, but I believe them to be incredibly profound. To have a life of prayer, one that is driven by the not being anxious, but through everything, through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, as our text records. That number one, I believe that prayer has to be, should be, is always a condition. Prayer is the condition of our life. One of the signs, and I believe this and I'm excited to tell you today, one of the greatest signs that God is preparing his people for something great is he begins to place upon their heart the need to pray for something big. The Bible says that it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. If God is raising inside of you this necessity of prayer, make no mistake about it. God has prompted you to do that so that he may answer you and show you things that would blow your mind. But it's a condition. It's almost under the context of if he's stalking your consciousness, ultimately driving you to your knees. I know that's strong words, but I want you to hear me. The way in which we talk to God, the means by which we communicate to him, and we'll see this in a moment, is prayer. I've heard people say this many, many times, and it kind of really pushes against the grain of my my spirit when I, I hear people say, well, a prayer can't save anyone. Hey, I get it. I agree with you. By merely throwing up a flippant prayer that's not sincere, that's not true to the heart, can't save a soul. But the Bible says, a fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I know that in October 29th, 1992, I was desperate. I was looking for something I didn't even know what I was looking for. There was a God-sized hole in my heart. Have you ever been there? I mean, just something missing. And I prayed, and I believed, and on that day, he saved me. And get, can I tell you something? It was simply by way of a prayer. If I think that anything else had to happen, and I'm moving outside of the gift of God, which by the grace of God, through my faith in God, then I'm adding all this other stuff to it. And that's a dangerous proposition, my friend. It takes nothing more than his grace through the cross, his resurrection, my faith in that, and my belief that through his grace, through the redemptive power that, by the way, was established before he ever framed the world, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He already had it figured out before you ever made a problem. Before man ever fell, the plan of redemption was fully in place. 
And that should encourage you today that there's nothing in the world in your expertise of failure as we are in this human form. There's not one thing you can bring before God that you look at and go, I don't know about that one. That God would look at you and you're crying out to him and he'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, the blood covered that. The blood removed that sin as far as the east is from the west. It was the condition. Bible says we have not because we what? We ask not. And when we do ask, we ask the wrong way with the wrong motives. We ask for amiss. God, I pray that you would do this and this and this. Can I tell you something? If, if today you had all of the answers that God has in any area of your prayer life, any area, take anything you're praying for, if you pray to God and you had all the answers unfolded in the fullness of time in the manner that he does, you would answer your prayers in the same way he does. That's why we can see that. God, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knows the end before your beginning starts. Well, then what's the point of prayer? You have not because you ask not. Like me as a parent, and maybe even more so now as a grandparent, I, I really like being a grandparent. I do. I, I do. I think grandchildren are, are, are a reward for not killing our children, and I'm so thankful today for, for the grandbabies. The grandparents in the house way behind that, like you just don't care. It's amazing, ain't it? Praise God, we pushed on through, right? You know what? I, I knew what I was going to get back for Christmas. Stephanie and I had already gotten it. She bought it. It was a little four-wheeler. You know a four-year-old kid needs a four-wheeler in Georgia. But you know what was really cool is to bring him over and look at him and say, hey, buddy, what you, what you want for Christmas? Well, I want a four-wheeler. <laughs> That's what he said. A camouflage helmet and a camouflage gloves. That's what he said. <laughs> I don't know what a glove is, dog, but we got you a four-wheeler. You know what was really cool about that is to hear him ask, watch this, don't miss this. This is spiritual right here. This is going to help you. It's to watch him ask for something that I had already prepared to give him. Do you know your spiritual life is like that? That God already has. Listen, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Please don't relegate that merely to heaven. The Bible says on heaven as it is in earth. Listen, on earth as it is in heaven, that there's a will of God that he wants. I'm not talking about prosperity, though it can include that. I'm not talking about healing, though it can include that. I'm talking about just oneness with him, absolute fellowship, in such a way that all of these sidebar prayer requests we are making won't even matter. He's that big, but it is a condition. Psalm 8, listen to this one. Oh, my God, Lord, just laid this in my heart. Can I tell you something? Some of you feel that you're not close enough to pray. I think it's in James. I don't have this in my notes, so we can't throw it up. James 2 and 23. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as unto righteousness. And watch this. And that is why he was called, say it with me, a friend of God. John chapter 15 and verse 15 says this, says, I am no longer called a servant, but I'm called a friend because a servant knows not what his master does, but a friend can know the things of God. Let me tell you something. He's given it to me in the fullness of his 
word. I am a friend of God. I can go boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because good. No, because he's good, and I'm his friend, and I'm his child. And you want your children and your grandchildren to come unto you and to sit in your lap and to give you the petitions, the things they want, the things that they maybe need or whatever. You want them to bring it so that you can be a blessing to them. How much more does God want to do for you, for those he loves? Psalms 8, verses 1 and then 3 and 6. Just just hear me. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent or majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a great hymn song, Psalm 8. You have set your glory above the heavens, verse 1. How majestic are you, God? Your glory is above all things. But then in verse 3, watch what he says. When I consider your heavens and the work of your hands, the moons and the stars which you have ordained, what am I, what is man, that you would be mindful of me? Maybe kind of like the Casting Crown song right there. Who am I? I'll tell you who you are that the Son of Man may visit him, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. Watch this. And you have crowned him. You have crowned me with glory and honor. You have made me to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under my feet. You talking about platforms? You and I have dominion over the entire earth. That shouldn't make us cocky or arrogant. It should make us humble in our stewardship model to care for the things God is trusting us with. Your children, they're not earth, they're God's. Your checkbook. I get I kind of chuckle, to be honest with you. I chuckle when I hear people say, God just wants ten percent. Just give me ten percent. No, God wants everything you have. But he allows you to keep ninety percent. It all belongs to him. When you realize that, it won't even become about percentages, it'll become about more of a passion to pursue him with, hey God, what can I do? to be a part of your great story because the truth is God does not need you and I but he sure will use you if you let him God invites you to ask him and to keep on asking him parents let me give you one how many times you look at your kids and say ask me one more time just just do it. ask me again I beg you I will shut this old thing down you know you do that I will burn your room down, boy. Don't you ask me for a computer. Maybe not that extreme, but you know it's kind of protocol in most people's house. If you ask me one time and I tell you no, well, what is it? That settles it. Don't ask me again. If you ask me again, I'm going to kick you. Listen to what Jesus says to me and you. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, I, I got to read this. Listen. One day Jesus told his disciples a story that would show how they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about the people. A widow that came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, quote, I don't fear God and I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. This is a parable. Jesus spoke these words. Then the Lord Jesus said, quote, learn a lesson from this unjust judge, one who doesn't fear God and care about the people. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his people when they cry out to him day and night? 
Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who truly have faith? Keep asking. The condition, perhaps, of your unanswered prayer today is the fact that you have quit asking. Maybe the moment you prayed, the tide of battle turned in your favor. In Daniel, the Bible says that when Daniel prayed, the answer was sent, but it didn't come for years later, the manifestation of it. Don't you dare sit there today and give up on God. You keep praying. Maybe, just maybe, you're that far. Maybe you're on the edge of God answering, and the response is already sent in motion. You keep asking, you keep believing, and you keep on your face begging a holy God. He says, ask me. Hey, I'm not an unjust God. He says, I am faithful, and I am just. And if this unjust God would give something to a lady when she keeps asking, make no mistake about it, I'll do better than that. No other religion even presents this type of model in every other religion in the world you got to clean yourself up you got to do this you got to and jesus has done that for us he took your place psalm 18 6 even says it this way it's in my distress that i call upon the lord can i tell you something you know that person you know that person that's just particularly always difficult to deal with Hey, man, how you feeling? I'm just sick. You know, I got this ailment in my back, and I'm hurting. Or they come to a birthday party, and and you got this beautiful cake uh, that was prepared, and you get ready to cut the cake, and they go, oh, it looks amazing, but I'm lactose intolerant. You know, whatever. Just that difficult person. You you know who they are. Or maybe you're sitting there, and you're going, well, I'm kind of that difficult person. So if that's you, we're going to pray for you. But can I tell you something? You may get frustrated in their coming in and going out, but God says, oh, no, no, no. Through the psalmist, it was in my distresses that I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God and heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him, even into his ears. Can I tell you something today? God hears even the difficult person. Not only is it conditioned, secondly, prayer is the catalyst. You need to know that despite all your doubts, God hears you. Matthew 18 and 28, listen, it says, come unto me. It's an invitation. It's a petition to his people. A holy God to an unholy people made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became my sin that you and I would be made the righteousness of God through him. He did not just die for your sin. He died as your sin, and he made you right with him. You're spotless, and through all of eternity, Jesus will wear the holes in his hands, his feet, his side, so that for all of eternity, you and I would be living in eternity without blemish or without spot and complete perfection. That God says, oh, I framed all of the world. I framed everything in his place, put the moon and the stars, the beast of the field and the, and, and the fowl of the air. The waves stop here because I said it. I put all parameters in motion. I set the seasons in motion. I put the corner on the four corners of the earth. I did it all. And here's what he's saying. Oh, yeah, come unto me. It's a catalyst for everything. Come unto me. All you who labor. Man, we're busy people, man. We're frustrated people. We have, but we're not happy. We seek to gain more, but it doesn't satisfy. We wear all the accolades 
We wear all of our accomplishments. We hide our failures. We sweep under the rug the things we want no one to see. Put on that perfect face. Yet we're war. Slap out, both physically and spiritually. We're exhausted. We're exhausted by a government that cannot do the job and they fail us. We're, we're exhausted by that. We're exhausted by arguments that are taking place about this, that, or the other in the political realm. Get all the while. This topic is not even being handled. We're, we're frustrated and we're tired from, from the fact that churches in, in, it can't even get along with one another. It's, it's mine and ours, or, or you don't belong, you don't agree. You got, we want you to come, but oh, but you got to worship like us, look like us, smell like, like us, and act like us. Can I tell you something? The beauty, and I, I'm thankful that I, I, I'm beginning to see some of those rails drop. I am. I'm beginning to see some of those proverbial lines in the sand be erased. And I want you to know, and if you're watching my podcast today or later, watch, man, we want you to know you are welcome here. Undone, broken, disenfranchised, drunk, you're a prostitute. I don't care what you're dealing with today, man. This is the catalyst that can change all of that into the newness of life, and it's that of prayer. God, heal me. God, cleanse me. Jeremiah 33, I love this. We live today by this device. Nothing probably frustrates me more than calling someone, especially someone in my family, and getting a voicemail. I'm thinking, you should answer it no matter where you are. Because I do. And... Yet, the frustration of it is it's not realistic to think that people are always available. But yet, I can call on my God any day, any moment of any hour, of any circumstance. If I failed him five minutes ago, I can call on him any time. Hey, Mark, I'm here. What's up? And if over there in this side of the room, there's 20 of you crying out to God right now. Yeah, I'm here. What's up? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, what you see? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. And over here, the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, how is God not busy? Because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's om- omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And thank God he's omnibenevolent. He loves every one of you today. He says, come unto me. All you labor have you laid, and I'll give you rest. And I love Jeremiah 33. Call unto me. There's another invitation. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. I think it's time in this season to stop believing God for the things we've seen him do in the past. That takes no faith. Believe God for something you haven't even fathomed. I'll show you great and mighty things which you can't even comprehend. And then thirdly, not only is he the condition, condition to all things, not only is he the catalyst, he's the, the starting point to connecting our, our, our brokenness to our wholeness, our death to our life, our heavy laden to our rest. Thirdly, he is our connector. Almost every time you read about fasting in the Word of God, you see it connected to this word prayer. They operate in tandem 
because I don't, I personally don't think you can do one without the other. Especially in the context of prayer. Remember I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I said it last week, I was going to unfold a challenge to you guys corporately as a church. And for nine years, best I could look back and tell, I've been doing a 21-day Daniel fast, found in the book of Daniel. I won't, I won't unpack that for you right now, but just maybe at another time. But it's a 21-day fast, where in which case you fast uh, basically anything that's good. Breads, um, sugars, meats, and eating grains, fruits, and things of that nature. No coffee, nothing. 21 days. And, and here's what the Lord told me this year in my prayers. I was turning the page to the new year. I, I really feel this in my spirit very strongly. I felt like that became and seemed somewhat insurmountable to many of you. Not just you, but people at large. Can't do a 21-day fast. So, so the Lord spoke into my heart this year and said, Mark, I want you to challenge them to do a seven-day fast. Seven in the Bible is a number for per- perfection and completion. And we're going to do three sets of these throughout the year. Now, some of you, I want to challenge you, especially if you're not diabetic or have some kind of medical problems. If you, if you are, you need to consult your physician. Do not do this. But I would like for you to, to challenge you for the next seven days, starting tomorrow and coming back next Sunday. We're going to have a big celebration next Sunday night, a, a night of worship in this building. It's going to be amazing. And it's not a celebration. I believe that the connector to prayer and fasting is that it unlocks doors in our life that have been locked forever. Corporate fast is seen several times in Scripture. One that just jumps off the page is in the time of uh, Esther, who who was married to uh, a king, and she had to go into this, this king and petition him on behalf of the Israel people. And Mordecai, her uncle, called for a corporate fast that they would all walk in the same mindset and heartbeat as they fasted. Fasting is not something that you do to change God. Fasting is something you do to change you. Fasting is very specific. It, it's just taking a liquid fast and only taking juices and things of that nature. Then by all means, I'd love for you to jump on and, and try this with us and, and just pray. When you normally would eat, you take that and dedicate it to prayer. You would be surprised how much time you spend talking about what you're going to eat preparing what you're going to eat, eating, talking about what you ate and how good it was and preparing for your next meal and snack. And a fast removes that essential thing from your life and and separates you to a time of fasting whereby you replace that time of feasting to feasting on God in prayer. If you're sitting there today, I want to give you some options. If you're sitting there today and you're saying, I can't do this liquid fast, then maybe the Daniel fast is for you. Eat fruits and and grains and nuts and berries and those kinds of things for, for seven days. It'll, it'll, it, it'll, it'll awaken your flesh and your senses. Maybe you're sitting there today and maybe your job is a little different and it constitutes uh, having lunches with people and maybe it would be an awkward thing for your first time to fast. I'd like for you to fast Facebook for one week. Some of you would be like, look, I'd rather go without food or water than Facebook. If that was you and your spirit leapt within you, that's what you need to fast, Facebook. Social media. Some of you might want to fast television. Years ago, we did a thing called a call to die, in which case we fasted television and social media and email for 40 days. And, and you'd be surprised how well you get to know the loved one in your home, your children, how much time you're spending in front of that one-eyed munch, monster getting nothing but a bunch of junk. And there may be other things that you would fast, but I challenge you, I ask you, I implore you, I beseech you, church, that you would join me 
starting tomorrow on a seven-day fast. Some of you started today, but start on a seven-day journey. Because as chapter 6 and verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they have disfigured their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say unto you, they have their reward. One of the things you don't do when you're fasting is you, you don't look at everybody and go, man, I am some kind of hungry dude, but I'm on this fast, man, because Mark, that's just too bad. I am starving. And everybody looks at you and goes, man, that guy is super, super spiritual. There's your reward. You can cancel out anything that God was about to do. It's a private thing. It's a personal thing. You, you don't have to come up to me, and I would encourage you not to come up to me and say, all right, Mark, I'm taking that challenge. I'm going to fast. If you have questions, I'd love to answer them. It doesn't have to be so secret that you can't explain. Let's say Kyle invited me over to dinner, um, which you've never done, and you should. Kyle invited me to dinner and said, hey, Mark, I want you to come eat with us Sunday. And I said, I, you know, I can't. Well, he might be offended by it. Well, why can't you? You, you went and ate uh, with Tim Knight, which Tim, you, y'all did invite me to dinner. Peace out. I love you. But... What am I might just say to Kyle, my brother, and say, look, man, I'd love to take a rain shot. Maybe you were going to do chicken. Let's do steak, and let's do it next week. I'd say something like that. I'd say, hey, bro, I'm just fasting. I'm just chasing after God's heart this week. The end. Don't make it a big deal. You know what I'm saying? You go with someone, and somebody says, hey, why aren't you eating? Yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trusting God right now. I mean, just, just kind of tell them and blow them past it. Mark 9 and 28 to 29 says, when they'd come into this house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast out a demon? He said to them, this kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. There's things in your life that you cannot do. You can't do. Do you commit to die to self? Hear me. Hear me. This is not your proof to God that you're holy and righteous and spiritual. It's the proof to you that you're serious about what it is you're praying about. Proof to you. It's a connector. It connects us to things. And here's the three things that I think we have these. I want, I want you to pray over these things for these next seven days. Three things that I want to challenge our church to pray for that will also impact your personal life. That we might know the love of Jesus that surpasses human knowledge that we talked about. That I personally, that you and our church may know the love of Jesus in a way that surpasses my human comprehension. And to personally experience in your life some of you hear me, God, man, I thought the Holy Spirit just laid this in my heart. Some of you cannot experience that kind of love because you didn't have that personal love from your earthly father. And I'm so sorry that you didn't get that from your dad. I'm so sorry. You deserved it, but you didn't get it. And that inhibits you, disallows you from having the fullness of the love that your heavenly father who loves you in spite of you, and he wants to give you a love that's unconditional, that was is without bounds, that will change your life and will blow your mind. It's past human comprehension. Number one, that's what I pray for our church, and I ask you to pray with me. Secondly, that we may grow in health with the, quote, understanding of his word. These are biblical prayers. That we may have the necessary resources, and that we may reach our community with the hope found only in Christ Jesus. The only hope for our community and our state and our nation and the world at large is to know him. I, I can't imagine how people go through life without knowing Christ. So I challenge you today to pray that with me and to experience that personal spiritual health in your own life. And then lastly, and I'm going to ask the guys to come on down. We're going to get ready for communion to celebrate the Lord's table. So men, y'all come on down. That we may be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. Come on, everybody say strengthened. 
in the power of his mind. Ask this year, during this week of fasting and prayer, that there would be a profound work of God in your life and in the life of our church. I believe that prayer is the condition. Condition to all things Christ, all things God, all things holy. I believe it's the catalyst. I believe it's nothing more than the starting point. And I'm going to talk to you next week and the week after about obstacles and blocks in your prayer life. I'm going to talk to you about intercessory prayer. And I'm going to finish with the power of prayer. But lastly, I believe with all of my heart that it is this connecting point, this conduit. So I felt today, and our leadership staff felt that one of the greatest catalysts to this journey in the next seven days is to celebrate the Lord's table. The elements here that you see before you represent two things. There's only two times that we are to do these events. And one, of course, is the baptism. The other, of course, is communion, the Lord's Supper. The elements before you represent, number one, the bread representing the bread of life. Jesus' body who was broken for the remission of your sin. That He became your sin. He died as it. When I take this bread, I, I recall that, that act on the cross. I recall his resurrection. I recall the prophets of old that spoke that he would do exactly what he did. And I would celebrate that and I would ingest that bread and I, I would remind myself as I take of this Lord's Supper, this communion, this the Lord's table, I am associating myself with the body of Christ. You know, there's a Philippians writer says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was God, saw equality with God, something not within his grasp, and he humbled himself to the point of the cross, willingly. And my body is becoming a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then the second element is the cup. Now, a lot can be said about what's in the cup. Is it wine? Is it juice? Is it this? But the Bible says it's the cup of the New Testament of his blood. Now, we have juice in here, and we believe that that fruit of the vine represents the blood of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, the cup that Jesus drank of represented two things, the full wrath of a holy God to an unholy people. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me, but never but your will be done. As he drank that cup, that cup contained the wrath of a holy God, but it contained something else. It contained the sin of every person that would ever live, every man, woman, boy, or girl. And he drank that, and he became that, and accepted the full wrath of God upon that. You have before you a cup of the New Testament of the blood of Jesus Christ, which under the dispensation of grace, we can live by grace through faith in him. It's not of your works. As I drink this cup, I'm drinking and reminding myself, of the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled, that ran down that cross, that ran upon the ground, that ignited life into the very earth in which was cursed. But then it also became a drop for me and for you that would apply to my life, that would take my sins away and make me pure, white as snow. As I drink this today, I'm remembering that. And then finally, before I ask you to come, and I ask you to come because rather than us passing it out, you get to come to the table of the Lord. These men will serve you, but you come with your family. We're going to go row by row, and you're going to come out. You're going to exit to your right, and then come back around in the same way in your aisle. So you'll come this way and go around. Each section will come to your right and come around, and they'll let you know when that happens.
When you come and accept these elements, you'll go back to your seat. Take all the time you need there and partake as a family. But the key is not these men passing it out. They're an instrument. It's you come. Who can come? I'm thankful everybody can come. But the ones who can take of it worthily are the ones who have been washed by the blood of Christ, the ones who have been redeemed. So here's what I want to do. And I feel like the Holy Spirit just laid this in my heart. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you don't know that today. The free pardon of sin. You're not certain that if you died, you have heaven for a home, that you're a child of the Most High God. Mark, I'm a good person. That's not what we're saying. I want you to know, are you redeemed? If you don't know, pray with me. Prayer, the prayer of faith that can change your life by the grace of God. He can save you right here, right now. Pray with me. No matter where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, pray with me right now from your heart to God. And he'll save you by some immeasurable grace. Pray with me. Father in heaven. I'm I admit that I have failed you. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sin. Save me. Redeem me. And help me to live for you. Until the day you call me home.